Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, as you know, we're, we're in this series called Identity. We're looking at who we are and, and how God's made us and what are the things that God has said about us. And we're walking through the book of Ephesians. And we're up to chapter 5. Paul here, as, as he walks through uh, chapter 5, as you know, as I read a few moments ago, the message version of, of, of verse 1 and 2, uh, we see this great picture of love. So let us read it again, but from the NIV version. Different version, it says this. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the ways of love, just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant, or other translation says, as a living offering, a living sacrifice to God. See, Paul starts here in in chapter 5. He starts here talking about God's love. But, but, but he doesn't just stop here. He says, you know, it's, it's how many of us know it's, it's easy to believe one thing, but it can be challenging to do, to live it out, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to believe it, but it's sometimes hard to, to live it out. Let me illustrate. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was at the footy, sitting at the footy, and sitting in front of me, a couple of rows in front of me, was a guy who was possibly the loudest person I've ever met. And, and coming from a loud person, that's a pretty high bar. And, I, and I'm sitting there, don't laugh, I'm sitting there in the stadium and every time one of the players messed up a, a play, he was the first one out of, his, out of his chair telling them what they should have done. Every time an umpire made a bad decision, he was the first one yelling at them. And yet what struck me was this, As I looked at him, he had every opinion and every insight. In fact, he should play. But as I looked at him, it was very, very clear to everyone around him, it had been a long time since he had done any or played any kind of football. You know, he had a very large mouth with a whole lot of opinions, and yet clearly he wasn't living out what he said. See, Ephesians is a letter that, that Paul wrote while in prison to the church in Ephesus, a church that he planted. And, and, and what we find is, I don't know if you'd like me, but we can easily read through the Bible. We can stop at different chapters or we can stop at different verses. But it was never written like that. Like, you know, Paul didn't write it and go, and chapter 5. Like, he just kept writing the letter and it kept going. But what, what we can find ourselves doing is that we can stop and we can pick passages and verses and chapters out. Of, and if we're not careful, we can pull things out and we can draw some conclusions according to the little passage we've found that was never meant to actually mean anything. You know, we could read some of this stuff and, and it could be clear or we could think it was clear that what Paul was saying is that works is more important than grace. Like what we do with our lives, I mean, what we're going to do next week and what we're going to do on Wednesday night and what we're going to do on Saturday and what we're going to do on Sunday and what we're going to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all of that is more important than God's grace. And, and it's all, we can all of a sudden find ourselves in a spot where we think it's about rules and regulations and the stuff we do. But we've got to remember that this was a letter, and this is just part of the letter. 
That if you read, if you jump to the back or to the start of the letter in in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Paul writes in this same letter to this same group of people. He pens these words and he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is a, a, a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. See, Paul wants to introduce us to something really, really important here. He wants us to to understand the the regenerative work of the Spirit in in, in and through our lives. See, I remember when when I first became a Christian, I know this might shock some of you. For others, maybe not so much. But, but, But when I first became a Christian, I was, I probably didn't live the life that I should have been living. I probably was doing some things that probably as a young Christian I I shouldn't have been doing, but I didn't know any better, and I was just new in my walk with with God. And yet God so loved me that he, he put people around my life that didn't sit there and tell me what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing and how that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong, but he put people around my life to love me. He put people around my life who would walk alongside me and allow the Holy Spirit to change me as I was ready. See, as we give our lives to Jesus, as we work out our salvation through His Holy Spirit, God begins to transform each and every one of our lives. I like to say it like this. Our job is to love people. God's job is to change them. So this morning we're going to look at the idea that I am holy. In the book of Leviticus, it says this. God says to the nation of Israel, he says, be holy because I am holy. What is the word holy? Well, in in Hebrew, the word word holy is translated kadesh. In, In Greek, it's the word hagios. And I hope I said some of those somewhat rightly. And both of them basically mean the same thing in English, which is, means this, that we're different, we're separate, we're separate, and we're set apart. Now, obviously, God, I mean, let me state the obvious here, right? You know, God, when he says God is holy, you know, be holy as I am holy. I mean, he kind of cheats because he is God. So he is holy, and he has never sinned, and he is pure, but God speaks to us. He says, because I am holy, be holy. What I want you to do is I want you to let my spirit begin to transform each and every one of our lives. I want you to, through the power and through through the Holy Spirit, as we give our lives to him, he begins to transform our lives from the inside out. God is saying to us that as Christians, we're to be set apart we're to be different. And yet throughout history, you know, Christians have fallen into this trap of going, you know what, if we're holding, we're set apart, we're going to make a little commune over here. And we're going to have like the, the us and no more, we're better than everyone else. But as I look, as I look through, as I look through this, as I read through the stories about Jesus, that is not what, what we find Jesus, that is not who we see Jesus and how he modeled his life. See, he didn't come down, arms folded, going, you know what, I'm better than you all. He was, but he didn't say that. 
He didn't stand there pointing an accusing finger going, you know what? Look at all the bad stuff you've done. Look at all the mistakes. I know. I know the mistakes that you've all done. See? But he waded into our mess. He waded into our mistakes. He waded into our brokenness. And he ministered to us. And this is what he's called his church to continue doing. But when it, it comes, but it comes with challenges. And Paul here wants to address some of these challenges that we face in this passage. And, and see, so he's writing to the church in Ephesus who at the start is talking about, hey, what I want you to understand is that you're in Christ. But now he's writing that same group of people who understand that, look, I'm in Christ and I've given my life to Jesus and, and my life has been changed and I understand all of that stuff. But they're wrestling with the challenge of wanting to be in. See, every one of us wants to be included, don't we? I mean, every one of us want to be accepted, don't we? We want to receive a text message or we want to see for a phone call or, a, you know, or a, remember letters like postcards and stuff? Yeah, yeah, we probably wanted to receive some of those things too to remind us that we are loved. You know, we all want to be reminded that we are valued by other people. And, and every one of us want to be accepted and included. But what happens is that when the overwhelming wave of culture embraces an attitude and a lifestyle that stands in opposition to what Jesus called us to, this is when we can stand, this is, and, and, and when we have to stand in confronting, and it's costly, and it's difficult. When, when the world says, hey, you need to live this way, and yet Jesus says we're going to live this way, the challenge of going, what do we do when we want to be in? So the church in Ephesus found themselves struggling with this. They found themselves in a place where of being in Christ, yet being seduced by a culture, wanting to belong and embrace the norms and the practices so that they didn't fit, so that they sorry, so that they could fit in. But fast forward to today, I reckon we still face the same challenges, the same difficulties. We all want to fit in. You know, right now we live in a, an environment in a world that where God's people stand in stark contrast to the overwhelming lifestyles and, and the things that the culture, our culture is saying. And God calls us to live differently. He calls us to love our neighbor when they are a little bit difficult to love. Yeah, he calls us to turn the other cheek when all we want to do is punch the other. You know, whatever, whatever it might be. You know, God calls us, God calls us to love and to help when the last thing we feel like we can do is love and help. See, Jesus calls us to something greater. And Paul invites us to discover that now that we're in Christ, now that we've given our lives to Jesus, it's now time that we work out and we begin to live our in Christ lives. That we, we need to not just be about being in in the eyes of the world, but we need to be in in the eyes of God. And so he offers an invitation. An invitation that, that's not to suck the joy and fulfillment and fun out of life, but discover a life with new and more fulfillment and a better way of living. 
And yet one of the narratives our world says and the enemy says to us that Christianity is like a straitjacket designed to rob the fun, the fulfillment, the adventure and the joy from life. And yet Jesus himself said in John 10.10, he says that I have come. Sorry, the, the thief has come. Bad mix. The thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come. I got there. But I have come to give life and life to the full. See, Jesus offers the bestest life, one filled with hope, one filled with joy, one filled with adventure, one filled with fun, one filled with purpose, and one filled with no regrets. So Paul here invites us into three things that we're going to look at briefly this morning. He invites us to discover a new source of joy. Let me read a, a few uh, verses from verse, uh, chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because these days, the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, and underst- but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I need to confess something in church this morning. I needed to go to Google and then go to dictionary to look up the word debauchery. Don't laugh because you don't know what it means either. And so I, I did some research in debauchery. It's like six people that know what it is. You're awesome. Uh, For the rest of us, this is what it means. Debauchery means excessive indulgence in sex, alcohol, drugs, etc. That is often considered immoral. See, Paul here is drawing a a line in the sand. And he's he's talking about, not, not just alcohol, but he's actually talking about the excessive consumption of alcohol. See, every one of us have come from a different home, a different experience, a different life set. We've all got different opinions on, you know, alcohol and what's too much and too little and whatever else. I came from a home where we had no alcohol because my dad's dad was an alcoholic. Dad used to sit out the front of the pub while his dad got plastered. His dad would then drive home sometimes on the right right side of the road and sometimes on the left and who knows where. And then he'd go home and he'd beat up his mum oftentimes. So I grew up in a home where we didn't have any alcohol. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. And Paul here isn't saying, you know what, we need to not have alcohol. Because Jesus at the Last Supper sat with the bread and the what? The wine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. But Paul here is talking about the excessive consumption of alcohol. You know, he's saying to a group of people who are challenged with, with I want to be in in the eyes of the world, but I'm in Christ too. And, and he's saying to them, he's saying, you know what, what I want you to do is, is stop writing yourselves off every time you drink some alcohol. Stop losing your self-control, which leads you to destructive habits and practices. I mean, all you need to do is read the newspaper like I read the newspaper every now and then. And you read stories of, of people who drink too much and then, they, you know, they, they, they do dumb things. They, there's sexual advances and behaviors and affairs and reckless behavior and regrets and text messages and photos that should never be sent but accidentally get sent. And all because of drinking too much. I mean, rarely do you read a newspaper article about an NRL player who goes out late at night for dinner and... and, and gets into a fight and all sorts of other things because he's completely sober. 
See, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And yet we live in a society where drinking is norm, and for many young people, binge drinking is norm. And it fuels a desire for them to fit in. It's fueled by desire for them to fit in. It's fueled as a desire for them to, to, to want to kind of connect and, and be accepted. But alcohol in our culture is often used as an excuse that's often to mask the s- symptoms of something deeper. You know, it's, it's, it's there to mask deeper pains to mask and to escape from the world that they live in so that they might feel like that they can be accepted. To, to, to somehow that will mean that they can have fun because you can't have fun with alcohol. And this is apparently the only way that you can have fun. But Paul here is talking to a bunch of young Christians who are confronted with the same challenges we're all confronted with. And he says, you know what? The two things he says is if... It can get you into trouble, and it can cheapen your witness if we get drunk all the time. Yeah, I was, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who's not yet a Christian. I'm still working on it. And we've got a great relationship. I was talking to him the other day, and, and we were talking about, he was talking about how Christians should live. I don't even know how we got on the topic. And I was, I was staggered because he knew how we should live better than sometimes I have lived. And, and he was talking about how he really struggles to listen to some Christians because he looks at their lifestyle and what they do, and yet he looks at what they say. And so he sits here and goes, Dave, I really wrestle with it. To be honest, I don't really want to listen to what they've got to say because of the lifestyles that they live. And the second thing that Paul says is, is that it cheapens our substitute for joy and acceptance. See, I remember when I became a, before I became a Christian, I was a, I was a good non-Christian, okay? I was, I, if there was a gift in it, I was pretty good at it. And, and I remember sitting at a party one night, and I may have had some, too many apple ciders or something. And, and I remember sitting there, and, and I remember the end of the party, my head in my hands, and I remember just thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. I didn't know what it was, but I remember just sitting there going, there's got to be more to life than this. There's something found in being filled with a different kind of spirit that Paul is trying to encourage us towards. But the second thing that Paul wants, to, wants us to be aware of is, that, is not just that we need to discover a new source of joy, but we also need to discover a new source for our words. In, in, in verse 4 and 7 it says this, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, coarse joking, which is out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For out of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, and greedy person such as an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath has come on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 19 goes on to say, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music for, the heart, for your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the early 1900s, there was a, a young preacher 
by the name of Evan Roberts. I forgot his name. Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts was a young preacher who began uh, going out and preaching and telling people about Jesus and the forgiveness of their sins and God's ridiculous, abundant grace. And because of what he did and because of the hand of God and a whole bunch of other circumstances, what began there was a revival in the city of Wales, which became known as the, the Welsh Revival. And it so transformed that community that the history records that police work slowed. It recorded that, that courts began to be empty because they had nothing to do. That, 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 that pubs began to shut down all because of a bunch of people who began to give their lives to Jesus. And he radically transformed their lives. And one of the things that I, as I was reading through it, one of the things that I found so fascinating is that not only all of these great things happen and good things happen, but, but productivity in minds dropped. If you're anything like me, I remember going, what's that got to do at all with people coming to know Jesus? Well, productivity in minds dropped because the, the horses didn't know how to respond to the, to the miners because they were used to miners swearing and cursing at them, but all of a sudden the miners began to not swear and curse. And so the horses didn't know what to do. And so they're, they're used to hearing one thing, and now the, I don't know what the, what the miners began to say, but all of a sudden, I don't know if you encourage a horse, I don't know what happened, but anyway, you know, and it began to, because of the change of their words, it began to affect the productivity of the minds. See, words are powerful, aren't they? And words are a testament to what's in our heart. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, it says this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, I need to confess that I struggle in this area too. Not necessarily with a potty mouth, but I've got a really short temper. See, I'm slightly competitive. I know that's a shock. I was super excited about Melbourne Storm beating the Panthers this week. And, uh, and, I, and, it, and one of the things I've discovered that, that I need to be careful playing and watching sport because I can be slightly competitive. And so the words that may come out of my mouth at times may not be the same words that I would like to use in church. And so one of the challenges I need to be aware of is what I say and the words that slip and come out of my mouth. Now, God's not calling us to be boring, church. Far from it. But what he's saying here, Paul is saying, is that obscenities and foolish talks and crude jokes and stuff like that have no place in God's people. What he's saying here is that, but equally he's saying here is that smooth talking, you know, the, the, the words have no substance and nothing to them and nothing behind them, well, they have no place either. But our mouths need to be mouths that testify to the goodness of God. And to build up others. It's why in Heart Week, not just because there's an E in heart, and because it was the only other thing that I could come up with that started with E, but because it's really important to God to, on Tuesday, we're going to spend some time encouraging. You know, why don't you send a text or make a phone call or talk to your spouse or a friend or maybe a boss at work or a colleague and just encourage them. Encourage them for who they are, not just what they do. See, one of the things that I, I've grown to really appreciate about 
about you, you Leone, Leone, Leonor, sorry. Leonor, one of the things that I've really grown to love about you is your love for people and your love for Jesus. And as we've heard some of your story, as we've heard some of the challenges and the, and the really tough times that you've gone through, one of the things that I love about you is that you've, you've kept holding on to God. I love watching you around this place. I love how you get around people. I love how you sent me a text during the week and go, hey, I'd love to be part of, you know, of Renault Day. Hey, I work for a company that, that, that sells and distributes water. Can I give some so that we can give it out to everyone who's volunteering? You know, in the midst of challenges that you face, here you are, products proactively looking for opportunities to serve and to bless someone else. And I know some of the hell you've walked through. And yet here you are in church. With an eyes that says, I want to be others focused. Because of what Jesus has done in me. And I just wanted to honor you this morning. I want to thank God for you. Thank you how special and, and significant you are in our church. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are and who God has made you to be. So church, there's something about encouraging. And I don't just do that to, to prove an illustration, to, to prove my point. Because this is actually how there's a whole lot of us feel about you. And yet the one thing I'm blown away is, is we think a lot of things and yet we don't often say a lot of things. So this week, why don't we just take a moment to encourage someone? And the last, but the last thing that Paul wants to point us to is a new source of will. Let me read verse 17 again. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Church, I don't know if you know this, but God's got a will. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for your life that is unique to someone else's life. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a will for your life that looks different to someone else's life. The person next to you, your life and your will and your plan and your purpose looks different to theirs. And theirs looks different to yours. And the person on the other side, their will and their plan and their purpose looks different. And God created you on purpose with a purpose. But how many times do we let our past hold us back? How many times do we, do we let the mistakes that we've done, the things that have been spoken, the labels that have been given, hold us back? And this is why Paul goes to great length to talk about what we do. Because what we do matters. It matters to Paul. It matters to God. Why? Because all you have to do is talk to someone who's made some significant mistakes and ask them about their life. And they'll say things like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that or, or I'd love to do this, but I'm an ex-addict. I'd love to, but I, you don't know me. I, 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 I'm an alcoholic. I've been a prisoner, been a drug dealer. I was an ex-employee at this place once. I'm divorced. 
You know, we, we label all of these things about ourselves and we think that, that somehow because of our mistakes, that somehow God couldn't use you. And yet Paul here is imploring us as God is imploring us this morning. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, we so easily let our past to determine our future. But God doesn't define you by your past. He defines you by His future for you. You don't believe me? Who was Paul? <laughs> he was a murderer. Where was Paul? Paul's writing this letter from prison. And yet, I wonder, church, I wonder as he says these words, as he's calling us to say, I want to remind you that God's got a will and a plan and a purpose for your life. I wonder if somehow in those moments, in change incarcerated, I wonder if Paul was also reminding himself of that fact. Because Paul was normal just like us. And he sat there going, you know, I've got a history and I've got regrets. I wonder how many times lying in his bed, he'd have flashback memories of people that he'd murdered or, or sent to the gallows or sent to prison or sent to be murdered. I wonder how many screams and yells and things would flash through his mind. And Paul here is saying that, he's saying to him, who was a murderer, who was currently in prison, He's saying to us, it's why I love when Paul says this, he has the right to say it. In fact, Paul in some of his letters says, you know, he says, you know what, this is who I am. I'm the chief of sinners. I've done worse things than you've all done. And yet God's got a will for my life and he's got a will for your life. You are You are holy. You are holy. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are holy. And I can hear some of you going, yeah, but you don't know what I did last night, last week, last year. <laughs> you're right, I don't. But I'm not the one saying that you're holy. The God who knows, who sees all. He is the one who says that you are holy. He alone has the right and the authority and the power to remind you that it's not about what you've done. You aren't holy because I can't get it right and you can't get it right. And that's not what makes us holy, but we are holy because of the blood that was shed on the cross. That is what makes us holy. Holy because of the love, the ridiculous grace and love that God offers to all. That is what makes us holy, church. Not what we do, but because of who He is. Not because of what I've done, but because of what He has done. Some of you say, you know what? You're holy, but I can't do it. With striving, you know, Max said it before so well as we were in worship. You know, I, it's not about striving and doing and working harder and achieving more and 
fixing yourself up more and making everything look shiny and polished and better. See, God's desire is that when we give our lives to Him, He wants to begin the transformational work in my life. And He's done it in my life. And He's doing it in your life. He's doing it because of the work of Jesus. On Friday, it was my day off and I was at one side doing some stuff in the yard and Shadi was at the back working on our overgrown veggie patch. And it was pretty heavily overgrown. Uh, no one had looked at it for quite some time. There was something that kind of looked like a tomato bush that had gone crazy and bonkers and there was bits of stuff hanging out everywhere. And the veggie patch was kind of supposed to be confined in this area. It kind of grew out to sort of like this area. And, and so Shadi was out there doing some pruning work and I, I walked out the back afterwards to a big black bag full of, I didn't know what was in it. And as I walked up to it, I looked in the bag and there was a, a whole lot of pieces of pruning of the, the tomato bush that Shadi had lovingly and caringly, and also some other plants I've just found out too. The interesting thing was, is as I looked inside the bag, you know there's moments when God just speaks through something random? I'm standing there looking at a bag and making a mess on the floor. There's some unripe little weird shaped tomatoes. As I stood and I looked at it, I felt God say to me, Dave, just as Shadi has done some pruning on the tomato bush, he's got some pruning to do in me. And I just sensed this morning as I heard that, since God this morning wanted to encourage and remind us that this morning he's got some pruning to do in you and I as well. See, we are holy. We're, we're designed to live lives set apart and separate. But we get it wrong. And, and what I found so interesting is Shadi didn't go and prune our tomato bush. And I really did like this bush too. Not out of anger, but actually out of love. Because she wants that plant to produce more fruit. I was talking to a friend the other day who knows more about plants than clearly I do. And he was saying, Dave, the interesting thing about planting, uh, uh, pruning a plant is that what it does, it actually forces the nutrients into the, the rest of the plant so it can grow stronger and more fruitful. You know, I thought it was kind of just a, an angry way of kind of making it look nice. He said, no, 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 by doing it, it actually makes the rest of the plant grow stronger and more fruitful. And God wants to say to us this morning, remind us this morning, that the, plant, the pruning that he's doing isn't meant to destroy but you, you to, but to make you. That the, the pruning that he's got in store and that he's doing and that he wants to do in these next few moments isn't out of anger but to actually make you more fruitful. That if we are going to be a holy people, a set-apart people, people passionate about Jesus that will change this community, 
Just like we're going to do it with Jesus' hand. We're going to show Jesus' hands and feet this week. That it actually means that to bear more fruit and it means that we've got to be pruned. How many of us know that pruning is not our personal preference? How many of us know that pruning is not always easy? But if we're going to bear fruit, the fruit that will last, God's got a pruning work to do. So I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. I don't know what pruning He needs to do in you. All I know is that the Holy Spirit is here and He's speaking to each and every one of us. You know, there's random thoughts that are popping into your head. There's little nudges that have been kind of happening in your soul over these last 20, 25 minutes. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And He's wanting to prune. He's wanting to grow. He's wanting to expand you to bear more fruit. But we've got to be pruned. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.